Right. Any, anyway, as I was saying, so I don't really do anything to kind of monitor my weight at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, which, when I'm, like, looking at, like, somewhat obsessively at, like, watts per kilogram or whatever, mm-hmm. like, hmm, maybe I should, like, actually pay attention to this. But then the thing is, like, I got on my scale, you know, a couple nights ago, and it's like, 129! And I'm like, oh, crap, what's going on there? And then I get on the scale again the next night, and it's like, 124! And I'm like, uh, hmm, Ooh. am I going to keep... <laughs> it, Damn. Just, yeah, well, I'm just like, if I'm going to keep something as evil and terrible as a scale in my house, like, maybe I should get one that doesn't is accurate. Yeah. Anything that has a spring in it is, like, pretty unreliable. I oh, yeah, it is exactly. It's like your, like, $15 target yeah. scale. It's like, mm, I don't think my weight is actually swinging by five pounds. Which, I mean, you know, it's not completely inconceivable. Although, even been... when I when I travel, I go to my parents' house, they have, like, a, a digital scale, and there's there's a lot of fluctuation in a day. You know, when you think about all the food you eat and all of the yeah. byproducts that you buy produce, <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, but you got to be, you know, if you do it at a consistent time, and it's like you should probably weigh yourself in the morning or whatever. But it's like if you're doing it at like the same time, and there's like a five pound, like yeah, that can happen. But it's like mm-hmm. mm. it's it, right. It's it's unlikely that you have like a five pound swing like before breakfast every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially like at you know, I guess it's one thing if you're like. 200 pounds like a five pound mm-hmm. swing might be but, like, but for us <laughs> yeah but for us it's like now we're talking about like a substantial proportion of our overall body weight yeah uh, <laughs> lis- listeners we both you know we both ride 50 centimeter frames uh, yeah. greg and i so we're little dudes extrapolate <laughs> well you know i gave i gave some numbers open the kimono that far <laughs> opening the kimono that's so graphic <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry closing, closing it up again ah oh, there you go you said you were holding that back so this is um, <laughs> this is the Honest Bicycle Program we're coming to you on the Wide Angle Podium Network we'll talk to you about that a little bit more uh, maybe when we transition topics at some point tell you a little bit about some of the fine shows and, and what you can do to support them on Wide Angle Podium. Um, I'm Greg. Joining me. And I'm Matteo. Yeah. Yeah. Matteo. And uh, uh, Francis is unable to join us today. Yeah. Our third Francis host. Francis is off, I think, causing trouble, probably arranging some kind of elaborate April Fool's prank. Because <laughs> <clears throat> it is old, April 1st as we record this, so I'm sure. Oh, Frankie out causing trouble. Multi shenanigans. <laughs> She's yeah, she's a troublemaker. Does anybody call her Frankie? Um, Powers calls her Frank. Frank or did, or did anyway. Oh, that's Jeremy Powers. Oh yeah. <laughs> Go on, brush Francis's well, shoulders I, it wasn't, off. It wasn't JD Powers and Associates. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. JD Powers and Associates refers to Francis as Frank. Yeah, and they keep track of like customer satisfaction. Perk. Yeah. <laughs> we miss you, Francis. We need someone to keep us on topic. Oh, seriously. Um, well, we did have some topics to discuss. I gotta, like, dig up that email from you now. Let's I am do... interested in talking about I can, I can help you out here. Man, 
when you only see one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you, Greg. <laughs> ah, man. So I'd, I'd like to talk about the World Cycling League, which is a new entrant into the world of spectator-friendly bicycle racing entertainment. And specifically, you know, well, specifically providing bike racing as entertainment for non-bike racers, which, let's see, I don't know the, our breakdown of American audience for our show versus non-American audience, but what we tend to think of is that all those people lining the roads in Europe who watch bike racing, most of those are not bike racers. Hmm. And when you go to, like, any given local or regional cross race or something, because in the United States, that's what we got for, that's got real good spectators. Most of those people are probably bike racers or are somehow connected to what's going on. We don't, in the United States, we don't really have a rich bicycle racing entertainment spectacle culture. Of course, we got, we got lots of good races that draw a crowd. Um, that tend to be part of like the local culture, but we don't really have non-bike racers following bike racing all that much. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. I would even say in, um, I would dare say in much of even, you know, places that we would think of as being much more kind of, I don't know, bike racing focused, where, where bike racing as a sport is less niche and a little bit more mainstream that, uh, there aren't necessarily tons and tons of people everywhere lining courses. We see a lot of people for like the Tour de France and in Flanders for those classics and and whatnot. But outside of those areas, um, and off you know off of the big mountain climbs on the Tour de France, or whatever, not as much. Not as much. So yeah. So uh, so the World Cycling League um. went on a pretty big media kick the past few months and announced uh, a couple weeks ago, or announced a while back that it would be holding in March just a few weeks ago. Yeah, do we want uh, to give maybe just a little bit more background on kind of just, I don't know, sort of what their deal is? Well. Or are we going to get to that? Let's, I mean, I feel like we're we're getting there. So, that, well, so their deal is, well, I don't know. Why don't you tell me from from you know observing the internet buzz? What did you? How did you read their deal? Well, I so they launched. I, I want to say they launched um, sometime in either January or December or something like that. In, in terms of media and saying this is a thing that's going to happen, and what they pretty much purport to be is a sports league, more or less in approximately the same vein as a major professional sports league in the United States for like ball sports. You know, right. with a looking in many ways like a franchise team operation that you would have with like the National Football League or the uh, National Basketball League or Major League Baseball, only, of course, much, much, much smaller to the point of having things like regional teams or city associated teams. Um, so they've got, you know, whatever, the Pennsylvania Thunder, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. and which is a very major departure from how teams usually work in cycling, but that's essentially the idea. And then having, yeah, uh, essentially track meets. Um, and then, well, then the yeah. other thing that I think is is really important is that so yes, this is a, this is 
track cycling. Um, the other thing that I think is important is that they're they're not just holding uh, standard events. They are sort of creating their own standard for a compact two-hour television-friendly one event after another format that allows people to understand what's going on and root for these teams. Um, and they're doing this, you know, because they want spectators, because they think it's also very sponsor-friendly, very advertiser-friendly. You know, I think kind of spectator-friendly and advertiser-friendly go hand-in-hand, hand, right? Yeah, I'd say adverti so. Advertisers are drawn to spectators. Well, and this is one of the handy things, actually, about doing a cycling event at a venue of, you know, very finite size, of compact size, mm -hmm. where you're pretty much, you know, you've got some different camera angles, but you're staring at the same. This is what's so great, right, about a ballpark, is you can have banners hanging up along the fences mm -hmm. and whatever, right? And and that's one of the nice things about a velodrome, but people haven't really capitalized on that or or at least uh, have not attempted to capitalize it in this on, on it in the same way. So the thought is, hey, if we can get spectators, um, this is a, it, it, then we can, for one thing, offload. I'm just spinning this off. It just kind of occurred to me, but they can offload the sponsorship from, say, the team names, which is kind of weird. This weird artifact of cycling and and mm -hmm. kind of associated with the, actually the venue and the events and the broadcast. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, as far as, like, generating revenue for cycling from spectators, you know, just about any other sport has uh, venues that you can sell tickets to. Mm -hmm. But cycling, it's just like, you know, even a, a crit is just held on streets, right? The streets are closed. If you're on the sidewalk, you, you're spectating. Yeah. Um, and most cross venues are public parks. As long as you stay off the course, you have a right to be there. Um, I would say, you know, some of the things that we associate with Europe, right? The, the dedicated cross venues and, you know, I'm thinking about how the Tour of Flanders had went once it kind of consolidated its finishing circuit. You know, they sell these VIP seats and tents on the Paderberg and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we don't really have, have quite that option for sort of getting, getting eyeballs to pay to be there. Right. Right, so basically... Um, it, the, so the, and and yeah. so the velodrome represents that possibility. Racing in a velodrome represents the possibility to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully to bring in the, the spectators by making it all much more exciting to watch. Yeah. So, I don't know, what do you... So, they did their first... Um, their first meet, I guess, a couple weekends ago now. Yeah. And I watched I watched every night of it, not all of it live. Or they they did they did a a Friday night, uh, a Saturday afternoon, and then a Saturday night session. And each of these sessions had the same race schedule. So on each team, there are men and there are women, and each are either sprinter or enduro. Um, yeah. And then there's just like the schedule of races. Some are geared towards sprinters. Some are geared toward enduros. Some have both. In uh in the race and really it's just a series of formats offering points to be scored um and you're you're not scoring points for yourself you're scoring points for your team yeah winning so winning a, an individual event gets more points but is otherwise not super relevant 
in their format from because I watched some of it too. I I watched probably three seasons, uh, excuse me, three sessions or two sessions um, in part. I never um, had time to sit down for a whole two hours, and and this was on um, Pacific time, which mm-hmm. made it that much more difficult when. At 10 p.m., they're saying we're starting our evening session on yeah. Friday night, and I, mm, I am going to bed at bike racer time. Uh, <laughs> so I was able to watch, uh, you know, an hour or so before I was pretty much falling asleep. <laughs> one of the so one of the things I was I was particularly interested, or one of the reasons I was particularly interested in watching this was because uh, the WCL, in order to the World Cycling League, the, the subject of our conversation here. Mm. In order to attract riders to its new league, its new format, you know, it put out a call in December for Pro and Cat 1 track racers to apply to race. And I applied, you know, hopeful, not really sure if it was a long shot or what. Um, and I didn't get invited, um, which is too bad because I thought that I, once I, you know, once I saw the final mix of people, I'm not sure that I would be raking in lots of points for my team there, but I thought that I could hold my own and be an opportunist and and race pretty well Mm -hmm. um but i was also thinking about you know the wcl's general media presence of trying to do something new and uh, of course i was excited that all these people that i know were having this opportunity to be paid to race and that there was all this energy and excitement behind uh spectator friendly track cycling bike racing spectacle um thought it was really cool that something in the country is being live streamed. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, I was also thinking like, but, but do we need something new or do we just need that kind of attention paid to the same old stuff? You know, is, is the format really the problem of track cycling as it is now? Or like how many, what are the actual problems and does this approach solve them? You know, that's, that's some of the stuff that I was, uh, wrestling with a little bit leading up to the WCL's debut. Sure. Sure. I don't know. Uh, we watched a little bit of it, <laughs> both of us. We then. did. We yeah. might be able to have some thoughts on that now. I thought and, it was... And to our, you know, to our audience, you can, you can watch the replays of the sessions. They're, like I said, they're sort of compact viewing, uh, one race after another. Do they have Pretty full exciting. replays? Because I was able to find highlights packages. I have seen full replays somewhere. Okay. We'll see if we can... Hopefully, that's a real I, thing, in which case w- I will link yeah. them Let's in start our with, show notes. Yeah. www.worldcyclingleague.com is a good place to start. Um, well, yeah, I think on, there. like, whatever... Yeah. Sorry. You you can go there to their website. I, I, will, I will make every effort to find replays, if nothing else, highlights packages. You will be able to find them linked in our show notes. You can mm-hmm. find our show notes... We do have them, by the way, with links and everything at standarddouble.com slash WHBP slash 55. Dang, are we up to 55? We are up to 55. Can you believe it? That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Call us. Woo, high five. (laughs) So, yeah, watch some of it. Uh, You're the track expert. I I definitely know only a little bit, so Mm -hmm. I can can kind of give some thoughts. Um, And I never saw the entire session. It, it mm-hmm. seemed to make, you know, a sufficient amount of sense to me. Um, they've got these teams with uh, five men, three women on them. Um, I like the fact that there's these... So the races are, I, I want to say, what, uh, single sex 
right? But the teams are co-ed and mm -hmm. points are, you know, just as valuable coming from either side. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. I think that's, I thought that was very cool. You know, it, it, it sort of reminds me of some of the things that I've heard about collegiate cycling where your category, your skill level doesn't really matter because in a weekend cycling meet, you know, you're, you're, you're still earning points for your team's overall standings. So mm. everyone is cheering for everyone. And in our, you know, in our sport, like many other sports, there's a lot of sex segregation and, uh, really less, uh, credit and respect and attention given to women. Um, so I really appreciated the fact that this was about, um, you know, not having men and women racing together, but having them uh, as teammates contributing to their teams uh, overall. Right. Yeah. And that's actually a neat, that's a neat kind of innovation is a strong word, but you know, it counts uh, a way of, of, I mean, how many, how many pro sports leagues can you think of, you know, where teams are receiving more or less equivalent contributions to uh, the team's chances from men and women on the team? You know, you don't have a – and, yeah. right, the scale is slightly different, but mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't have, you know, major league baseball <laughs> teams where it's like you've got the Boston Red Sox and they have – you know, the 18 men on the team or whatever, and then they have, you know, the 15 women on the team. And, right. <laughs> you, know, you have one inning where the men go out there and one inning where the women go out there. It's a little different. Yeah. So I, I like, I really liked that way of, uh, of handling it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, thought, I thought that was a, that was a good approach to handling it. And then the other thing that I liked, and here's something that a lot of people don't know about track racing, is that um, in sort of standard uh, UCI-style track racing. Um, it's actually against the rules to do teamwork. Collusion, oh, no kidding. Yeah, collusion with another rider is against the rules. And so that's except why, you know... the Madison, in, I suppose, or other team events? Right, except in specifically team events like team time trials, the team pursuit, the team sprint. Um, or in uh, the Madison, yeah, where where you're in you're in two person teams. But on the you know on the track, you don't really see things like lead outs. You don't have domestiques who are you know a chasing breakaways on behalf of a leader. Mm. Uh, the WCL threw that by the wayside. So you know obviously riders in the same race who are on the same team um, are trying to earn points for their team. So you know, if there if there's a sprint on offer, riders are trying to go one and two in order to get maximum points and put more distance between them and who's ever getting third place. And that worked out pretty cool in a, in a couple ways. You know, there were some riders who were targeting the sort of bigger points in the finale, and some kind of lower profile riders who are racing as more opportunists, trying to go for long breaks that could get them intermediate points. Right. Uh, I, I liked seeing that. I thought that was that was pretty neat. Yeah. Well, what about specific kind of alterations to traditional track events? Do you want to talk about that at all? Because I, I found it kind of interesting. I don't know that much about track events, but, you know, when you think of like a UCI track meet, you tend to think, all right, there's going to be a team sprint. There's going to be 
team pursuit and there's going to be qualifying heats and and final heats um and there's going to be sprint events and then there's going to be things like i mean not in this and it's, order necessarily. and it's yeah but and to be honest like if you try and watch a world cup or a world championship like you you never really know what's going to happen when like it's hard to find the schedule and maybe you find a live stream and you turn it on when it's convenient to you and like for two hours like there's just they're running through like qualifications well yeah for, they're doing fly you know, the individual pursuit or something and that's you know admittedly that is not exciting Right, um, and you don't yeah, like you don't always know when the exciting thing is. You know the scratch race, the points race, um, and you know I think one of the things that the WCL was trying to address is the fact that you know like a, a forty kilometer points race makes for kind of kind of tough television, sure. and tough spectating. Like I, I'm at the point where I've raced a lot of points races in my, I don't know, seven year track career. I I kind of get how they go, a little sure. bit. Um. But it's it's taken me a while to like figure out how to watch you know an elite international level, 160 lap men's points race, and be able to like infer what's going on tactically instead of just being able to like read the scoreboard and think like oh okay that's the score. Right. It's it's complicated. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, if you come in in the middle of, and you know, it should be said, even even traditional track endurance events aren't long by the standards of road racing, but they're long enough to mm-hmm. get confusing. Where if you tune in in the middle, you're gonna be like, "What the heck is going on?" You know, yeah. if you want, you know, if you want for a sporting event to have right a, a one hour or two hour television block or something, you know, the solution is not going to be to take a points race or a scratch race even and just extend it by. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to be two hours long. Yeah. So um, the so the WCL approached this with a this um with this format that has twelve events with an intermission, mm-hmm. and uh you know they alternate women's events and men's event, and all of the events are fairly short. You know, I think the the longest one is is the final event that's just forty eight laps, which is on gosh, a two hundred fifty meter track. That's over very quickly 15 minutes you know 15 yeah, yeah sort of thereabouts um and you know they have some laps that are just two lap standing start sprints for six riders yeah um and it's and it's really you know as soon as one event ends the next one's on the track um so it 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 definitely moves and you know they sort of put up a scoreboard and with only six teams it does it i never found that it got like too dense to figure out was it only six teams something like that um yeah it's something like yeah that. six teams so you know it was never too dense to like try and think about what the sort of team standing situation was shaping up to be mm. that said so like they simplified it in ways that were good um that said, you know, I, I like 15-kilometer scratch races. I think they're a really beautiful part of uh, of track racing. I like Madison's. You know, Madison's are the races where you have two-member teams and, and it's like tag team wrestling. You have to touch your teammate in order to throw them into the race, and that's done via this, like, high-speed differential hand-sling that's just awesome and terrifying and has almost torn my arm out of my shoulder on a few occasions. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, but on, so, I mean, I I think they're trying to balance the fact that you know it's still it's still not the easiest thing to just sit down and watch and know exactly what's going on. And I, I don't know, maybe that's overrated because I'm not necessarily certain that that you can like sit down and start watching a game of football knowing nothing about it and like mm-hmm. have any clue what's going on but at least you know having a scoreboard certainly helps yeah um so so that's good and i mean with football just for example it took i didn't know what the heck was going on until college cuz i i did not grow up in a sports family uh-huh. so there's all this like you know so so on the one hand um they want to keep it from getting too complicated cuz you something like a madison where um in points race to the limit do they have a points race at the w in the wcl um well i guess all the races were sort of oh you know, yeah races, kind of well right? they're weird hybrids we can get to that in a sec points. um but you know with a madison or or like a traditional points race where it's not just like crossing the line on a given lap but getting a lap is really important tactically um you know basically i mean bradley wiggins and mark cavendish just won the uh, world Championship uh, Madison by lapping the field, and that was really important. Um, but you know, on just the other just, hand, just to inter- just to interject here, Madison uh, laps are the th- there are sort of two scoreboards. One is what lap you're on, and the other is the points that you're accruing, and they can't cross over. So if you're a lap up on the field, even if you have no points, you're a lap up. Right. Um. So yeah. Wiggins and Cav were were a lap down, and they were accruing points. And then they just like late, in, really late in the game, completed the lap. It was a very exciting way to win a Madison. Right. Yeah. So, um, train of thought. Yeah, uh, I'm extremely well lubricated at this point. Um, <laughs> that's my you. that's my problem. <laughs> Got home, ate dinner really fast because. Uh, I only got home like 10 minutes before we were starting this and, and then poured a beer and off to the races. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, a lot of, we think that everyone understands things like baseball and football, or whatever, but you know, they just have like kind of cultural momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's only so much to be done. And I think they were finding it, found a pretty good balance actually. And it was kind of funny with my relatively rudimentary knowledge of track cycling mm-hmm. when, when they were essentially introducing these race formats that no one's ever heard of before uh where one of the big ones they do is this thing called they call an enduro sprint yes the the 12,000 meter enduro sprint yeah which is like what but it, it, and i thought oh they're this is what they're calling a points race but then i was paying attention i was like no wait a minute there's also intermediate sprints in this yeah for so it's this weird hybrid fusion of a scratch race oh, sorry not what they're calling a points race what they're calling a scratch race was my thought <laughs> It's yeah. like, no, this is the scratch race. And it's like, oh, it's not exactly a scratch race, right? Because for, for people who don't know, uh, a scratch race, and, and you can correct me on this, basically, if this is wrong, my basic understanding of a scratch race is that it's a criterium on a track. Totally right. Yeah, so whoever's is first across the line wins. Yep, first, um, and if, if you're up a lap, you're up a lap. If you're down a lap, you're down a lap. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so that the the Enduro Sprint race that they do, WC is a lot, WCL is a lot like that, except that there are also like preem laps where there's a sprint and there's points on the line mm-hmm. for the overall team omnium. So it's kind of like this mishmash crazy omnium format 
with a bunch of short, sharp little races, where even the endurance races are uh, are not that long, for the most part. Right. So, yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, What did you think? We should probably um, not belabor it too much, but having having watched the first meet, um, what do you think was successful and what do you think was less successful? Well... I'm going to answer your question as if it were a different question. <laughs> okay. If if I wanted someone to think that track racing is pretty cool, and I was thinking, should I sit them down in front of an hour of WCL replays or a random hour of World Cup or World Championships replays with the assumption that I'm not allowed to just talk in their ear the whole time and explain what's going on? I would choose the WCL. Hmm, okay. And, you know, at, afterward, I would say international competition is different. The, the formats are different. But basically, this is, this is bike racing, and this is a velodrome, and I hope you like it. Sure. Okay. Okay. So that's uh, maybe qualified endorsement. I mean, I'm still, you know, with the with the World Cycling League, I'm still curious to see how they're going to make it work. Uh, I'm hopeful, I guess, that it will be positive. Um, I'm not, like, cynical or suspicious. Uh, I just think it... I don't know. Not that it's a tough sell, just that they've got hard work to do. Yeah. Well, I think that... You know, my impression from having watched it is um, I hope that they're able to, to run. Uh, I, I hope they've got a good runway ahead of them to basically workshop it and keep workshopping it. Mm-hmm. I hope that they're not, like, going to essentially commit to this plan and and just be like, this is the plan and this is what we're doing. You know, I hope that they're open to tweaking the format and, and kind of trying to figure things out as they go along. And you would think, right, like, that would be the logical thing to do. So so with any luck, they are kind of paying attention to what seems to work and what doesn't, not having done this before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I found it relatively, um, relatively fun to watch. It's... Uh, it's difficult right now because, you know, you tune in on the stream, and um, let's be honest, it was not a packed house for any of these sessions. Uh, and I think that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if uh, you excitement is contagious. Yeah, no, it is because if you if you tune in and you know the stands have you know I don't know a, few, a couple dozen people in them, um, going yay. Then it's kind of like what, you know, what's the big deal? Whereas, you know, if you can build the critical mass, the point if you can get butts and like literal butts and seats, you know, it's not just good for ticket sales at your venue. You know, when people are watching, I, I think they're going to be more wanting to give this shot. Like, well, I don't know, there's like a thousand people here, like enjoying themselves watching this. There must be something <laughs> to it. Yeah. You know, so I think yeah. that's a hill that they really need to get over. Is is they need to get um, butts and seats somehow at the actual venue. 
mm-hmm. for venues. Um, that's a that's a challenge for sure. And I hope that, hope that we can work that out because that was definitely like, and part of that was also my anxiety for like like I want this to work. You know, and it's like I'm, I'm like, oh, there's like 20 people in the stands. Oh no! Have you ever watched a a European six day? Uh, I have on the internet not, but I've seen like you know videos like the Koopka Cat video. You know, you right. can see how packed. I mean, that Ghent Velodrome is tiny. It's true, but it is the 166. That's <laughs> just 166 meters around. <laughs> 166 meters of fear. Um, Definitely. especially if you're a cat, but yeah, yeah, where, yeah, it can be packed. And or, it's, I mean, and like, and like the European six days, like there's a band, there's like disco music or like dance music being blasted through the speakers. There's like rave lights happening. There's a ton of beer being sold. Like people are, people are partying late into the evening while this bike race is happening. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, they've had the explosive growth in the UK of cycling and the track events that are held there now. It's like good luck getting getting tickets yeah. to live track cycling events, which is fabulous, you know. And it's tough because this is, you know, it's very much like it's kind of a boil the ocean sort of problem, uh, as, as an NBA would say. Or um, <laughs> what's the other one? Um, chicken or egg problem, you know. It's so, like you, you, in order to get it, you have to have it. Yeah, in order to get it's it, you the have to job right out of college problem. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's the job at any time problem. <laughs> Don't get me started. But uh, yeah, so that's that's a challenge. I think that overall they've got a good format and stuff like that. But you know, when you've got you know, even when you've got great announcers, um, I don't know how I feel overall about kind of cycling announcing in the United States. I feel like I feel like. It's not very good for the most part, um, and I don't really know what to do about that. But you know, and that's not to say it isn't hard. It's hard, but you know, I'm, the announcing was like it was fine. But uh, I, I just don't. I just think that part of the problem there, not to go too deep on that one. I think part of the problem with getting color commentary and whatever on cycling is that the people who are really good at it are commentating for like the NBA or the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> or Major League Baseball. So, you know, I mean, that's tough, too. Um, but anyway, uh, but overall, it was, you know, it's good good to watch. Um, I think, and yeah, keeping it short, short was nice. I think the sequence of events, and they could, it could, some of this might be TV production stuff. Um, or, you know, internet stream production stuff where uh, I just think that more information on screen to know what the heck is happening or, or sort of what the situation is would be helpful. There, It was very minimal. And that stuff costs money and it's hard to do. Right. But it'd make a huge right, difference. That's probably a really tough nut to crack. Yeah, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure it is. But, man, it would. It, it's got to be easier indoors than you know, in a road race, but knowing, you know, how many laps are left and, oh, we're coming up on a sprint lap and, you know, let's get live, um, you know, update on who just crossed the line first and what that means for the, you know, and just all that kind of stuff. Like when you're watching a sporting event on TV, 
you should be you should have more information than the audience in the stands. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how it works. Like that's how it works um, in baseball, in football, in in basketball, uh, hockey. Like that. That's how it needs to work. And and you know, again, that's really hard to get to. But the closer they can they can get to that, the better. Um, yeah. The other thing I would say is um, that is like more of an out and out like criticism of like. Geez, I don't know. Is um, something about the branding for WCL feels really low rent, um, and that worries me. Uh, where it's like, I, and I, I don't know if I can put a finger on that exactly. It's not just like the the colored tape on the bell helmets. Um, <laughs> that's not awesome, but like you know whatever. Uh, <laughs> but just the the one gear no fear thing feels very like 90s no fear sort of branding like i think that's just like that's so consistent with how like so much cycling has kind of struggled to actually market itself outside people in the know y- yeah yeah I you just, know and it's another thing that you know people who are good at marketing cost money but cost it's money yeah but it's man i just i just feel like almost ah it just feels really cheesy it's like we're gonna watch cycling 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 you know come down sunday 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 <laughs> watch the greatest cyclists on earth ride and dude if i ever heard that on the radio i would be so pumped <laughs> well yeah if they yeah, hopefully they are taking out local market radio ads. That'd be nice. One of the um, things that I thought was really cool was that, you know, <laughs> after so before the effect, a lot of the a lot of the people who were racing in the WCL were, you know, doing a lot of Facebookery to build the buzz, which of course, you know, just like come to my band show, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um but afterwards everybody seemed to have had a really terrific time and thought that, you know, from the athlete's perspective it was a it was a great event to participate in. It was like great to race, um, and I think that's a really like that's sort of a core strength that is a a great place to start. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is, and it seems like the athletes are into it. I actually don't know most of these people. The only one I kind of know is one of the, and I like by no I mean am acquainted with um. Uh, uh, one of the riders on shoot Colorado Cyclones, um, uh, Chris Birch, because she was in the NECX. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, oh, I know you. Um, mm-hmm. and and based on what she was tweeting, it seemed like um, it was cool. Yeah, and, and like a good racing experience. So that's yeah. good for me. Like you know, uh, so many of the riders, most of the Americans are familiar faces. Uh, and names from having, you know, raced around the country for the past couple of years. Yeah. Sort of at that level, myself. <laughs> I wasn't in this guy. Well, maybe... Uh, well, you maybe... know, I mean, which is to say, like, appropriately, the WCL is pulling from, you know, like, our racing community. Yeah, which is... As well as, yeah. as, well as some, you know, international sluggers. Right, which is kind of interesting with this Dublin team. Um, mm-hmm. I was. I, I have to say, I was a little. the The thing that really made me cringe um, was like the Mexico Heat getting up on the podium with like big sombreros and fake mustaches. That was a little bit. That made me uncomfortable a little bit, as well as the announcers' constant references to like 
how like Dublin was like missing a step because they flew here on St. Patrick's Day or something. It was just like let's uh, let's go ahead and downshift the like ethnic stereotyping just yeah. a little bit. That would that would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I mean, as as much as I'm happy to make jokes, like you know, I'm Italian American. I'm happy to make like forget about it type jokes. Like I wouldn't exactly want <laughs> somebody American I didn't from, know from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, like you know, making those jokes about. It's me. okay for you to do it. <laughs> forget about it is our word, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Whew. All right. So I, I I'd say unless you have any final sh- thoughts, we can we can sort of conclude that segment. Yeah, I do. Well, I have, I have one. So I have one uh, appeal to our, uh, our listeners is that I would really love, um, you know, I, I've kind of seen WCL sort of from the like track cyclist perspective, right? Um, I would really love for our listeners who maybe are not that acquainted with bike racing as entertainment or who are not track racers, um, or who only had this like on their radar screen and on the periphery. I'd love for you folks to, um, take a look at the link in our show notes, uh, watch a little bit of it and let us know like what you think. I'm, I'm really curious how it comes across to the, um, the less initiated, I suppose. So, uh, email us at, uh, is it Greg? What's our email address again? It's honest bike program at gmail.com. I, I thought it was. Yeah. Please email us at honest bike program at gmail.com or tweet at us. Honest bike. Um, uh, sorry, at Honest Bicycle. Honest Bicycle on Twitter. Um, and yeah, let us know what you think. I'm really curious. I'm very, very curious. And I call upon you to state my curiosity. Yeah. And and my final thing is, you know, all, all of these things are things that can be overcome as far as, like, getting into it. Like, if you've ever been to a professional baseball game, it's actually kind of super boring. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot of dead air, you know, a lot of dead time. Which is, you know, filled with kind of goofy uh, promotion things and like, let's, you know, do a, a mascot race and the seventh inning stretch and raffles yeah. and we're going to bring a kid out on the field to, you know, swing at a ball kind of feebly. So, you know, uh, it can be done. Um, right. So before we move on, I want to tell you all just a little bit about this network that we're on the wide angle podium network it's pretty great it's a network of shows that share a similar ethos uh most of them are cycling focused i would say or or closely connected the thing i gotta tell you about the shows is that uh it does you know it, it costs a little bit of money i'm not saying it's a lot but it kind of is a lot i don't know it, it isn't free to bring these shows to you is what i'm saying it takes effort it's work you know, on top of that. And you might have noticed... We, we, we buy, you know, some server space and microphones and uh, hair products. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the hair products are probably my single biz- biggest expense, personally. But the thing is, um, you know, you probably have noticed, or maybe not noticed, which would be great, that uh, there's you're not really getting advertising. You know, none of us are getting rich doing this, and we're not uh, bombarding you with ads for, like, mattresses. We're also not, like, giving you reviews on items that we were given for free. Also true. Also true. Yeah, so so we're not selling mattresses. We're not selling, uh, you know, web hosting. Uh, we're not selling uh, razors. Um, but, you know, you could still help us out if, if you want. 
Uh, we'd really appreciate it. You can donate. You can donate to the show, all right, specifically. You could donate to any of the individual shows on the network that you also like. So if you wanted to give your money to um, Slow Ride Podcast instead of us, uh, I would recommend against that, but you can do it. Uh, or, or you can, you know, donate to the entire network equally, which might be a good bet if you like all the shows. You can do that by going to wideangle.podium.com slash donate. Pretty simple, really. So, yeah, if, if that strikes your fancy, it just, you know, it just makes it a little bit easier to bring this to you. And um, we love you so very much. Yeah, anything else to I say about that, Manny? Um, Thanks for listening. We love you. Listen, there's, there's no better way to spend your money. <laughs> That's actually true. Than to give it to us. <laughs> uh, and if you don't, we're going to keep on making great shows. Yeah. So, so you know, don't worry about spite, it. Out of spite, so it's fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. All right, anyway, uh, so maybe let's close out on a little bit of a tech topic. Uh, Bring it. So some, something something tremendously exciting has happened, uh, and that is that apparently 12-speed 12 12-speed 12 drivetrains are now a, thi- a thing. And this, like, we know that we're recording this in April Fools, and everyone's gonna forget about all the internet April Fools jokes in like eight minutes. Um, but like, this is legit. Like, this happened not on April Fools. This is this is the real deal, folks. We got <laughs> we got nine circles on that big thing in the back on the back wheel back there. Nine of them. Nine. Twelve of them. What happened there? We'll uh, cut that out in post. <laughs> I think, yeah, 12. 12. It's actually quite a bit more than 9. But anyway, 12 speeds, now a thing. Graham talking all these spiky circles on your cassette, 12 of them. Only on mountain bikes for now. Mm-hmm. For now. But uh, road road stuff can't be far off. Do you, have, do you have any feels about this, or is this just kind of like business as usual by now? I mean, look, I'm at... I, in general, I hate the response of like, well, the number that we have now is fine. Because like, that's just a bad argument for not trying new stuff. And then the other thing about like general advancement in technology is that you get there. I'm talking about all of, I'm not talking about this company or that company. I'm talking about like all of us, like the, in, the industry as well as the crackpot inventors and everyone in between gets there by like trying lots of weird stuff it's kind of darwinian you know like you try lots of weird stuff and the stuff that is actually a good idea gains a foothold and so even if like 12 speeds aren't necessary even if 11 is good enough still have 10 call me a retro grouch um i don't want to say like the number that we have is fine yeah, well, the thing is, like, argue that argument bugs me because it's like, well, okay, what number is fine? Like, what do you really need? Like, you need you need one, and anything past that, you know, is is sort of it's I just bourgeois. Yeah, it's an extravagance. <laughs> it's a bourgeois extravagance, eh, you know, and it's just it just doesn't really to me that doesn't really logically hold up. It's like, well, if it was better to have two gears than one gear, then it's better to have twelve than. 11 and you know better by the same amount eh, probably not you know 
doesn't doesn't make the same difference. But but yeah, and the thing is that technology is gonna march on. Now there are great reasons to not upgrade your own bike. Like that's cool. But I can't really think of great reasons to be like, well, we can manufacture thing, you know, chains and cogs that are smaller and thinner and more precise and that lets us cram on more. But uh we won't. You know, I, I don't know. And for the for the businesses that are actually doing this, that like have to make money selling stuff, like you know, I guess we can bemoan the consumerist culture we live in and all that. But like, you know, if you're running a business that sells widgets to people, you got to keep making better widgets. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's there's really nothing else to it. Um, or or it's the rare company that. Uh is stable without trying to grow in some capacity. Sure. Well, you know, and I I don't know how much in the largest uh, sense, you know, economic sense of growth that these companies really are growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that's the point, you know, you got to keep selling more stuff and, and maybe that strikes you as terrible. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, people get upset. And they say, oh, they're just trying to sell more stuff. And I say, hey, that's weird. Um, for-profit <laughs> company is trying to make more money. Uh, that's really terrible. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I just – well, the, the one that gets me a lot, though, and it happens with mountain bikes especially. I've been, I've been now kind of riding bikes long enough and, and kind of looking at tech stuff long enough that I, I feel like what was once – the correct and noble number of speeds to have on the cassette at the back of your bike. It just like the goalposts have moved, mm-hmm. you know, where when I started, it was like 10 speed was shiny and new. So yeah. it, it was like, Oh, you know, seven and eight speed is where it's at. You don't need any more than that. And besides this, the new stuff is thinner. So it's going to wear faster. And everyone would say, oh, yes, my chains don't last nearly as long as they used to. Uh, but now it's moved and it's like now it's, you know, if you're a correct and noble uh, retro grouch, you have nine speeds or ten speeds on the back of your bike, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> like now that's like the old durable obsolete tech that you're clinging to <laughs> by your fingernails. Um, <laughs> I, I just It just makes me laugh and it's like thing that makes... Part of part of what makes this possible, by the way, is that uh, I don't know. People just assume that this stuff is all like metallurgically and and technologically essentially identical, except skinnier, and that therefore, if there's less material, it must be wearing out faster. Um, I highly actually I highly doubt that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I won't get into that. But I don't know. I I I find it kind of interesting because we're actually hitting this tipping point. Or, or getting very, very close to it, where uh, gear shift systems, you know, drivetrain systems on bicycles are are inching ever closely to like seriously radical change, and have already gotten there on mountain bikes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where SRAM is like holding like funerals for front derailleurs. <laughs> right, that was their their launch, right? Yeah, and of course, I mean the 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 cynical uh, internet comment about that is that they are uh, pushing 
one by setups because they could never build good front derailleurs. <laughs> yeah. But like that is such nonsense. And I'm not I don't want to go too into this, but like I have SRAM setup and I'm not like a SRAM defender. I just it's a little bit more sensitive to good setup, but like there's nothing wrong with the front shifting. Yeah, it's fine. It's I it is it is more sensitive to good setup and whatever, like thing that they can't figure out. Front shifting is just nonsense. I have the eleven speed rival, it, it's fine. The shifting's pretty good. The front shifting's fine. It's not a big deal. Uh maybe it's not as good as the latest Shimano front shifting. I hear that's quite good. But, you know, it is it's it's fine. Yeah, uh, the extra long lever on the derailleur makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it really does. It's interesting because you think the overall leverage, you know, is not that different, and therefore, but it wouldn't matter. But apparently, it really helps. Uh, yeah, uh, I had a I had a direction I was going with this. Well, okay, so I find it interesting that with the mountain bikes, yeah, they're they're burying the front derailleur, and a lot of people are pretty dismissive of that. Um, and I actually think it's a pretty big deal. I mm-hmm. think that we as and well, let me finish that thought before I go into my next one. I have a tendency to jump into my next thought. Uh, so I think it's a, it's actually a pretty big deal because we have a tendency to think that this is really easy conceptually, right? It's like, well, you know, you go to the bigger ring on the front and it's harder and the smaller ring and it's easier and mm-hmm. you go to the bigger ones in the back and it's easier and the smaller ones and it's harder. And, it's you know, it's fine, right? No big deal. But it is actually conceptually not as easy to wrap one's head around as you might think like it's not like there's one button (laughs) you know there's like these two different buttons and they do two different things um and people figure it out like it's not a huge deal but like why not make it simpler and then you have you know with the mountain bikes and now cross bikes people are going to the you know the one by 11 um one by 10 was already a thing that is kind of something you have to hack together a little bit but it works um people were doing that for years because it really is less of a cognitive load to be dealing with just one derailleur yeah and in one shifter and it's like you make it easier you make it harder and that's it mm-hmm. um and i don't know about you but when i am in a cross race like do you have one buy on your cross bike? I don't actually. I'm, I mm-hmm. was hoping to do it this year I, for budget reasons. I might not, but the reason I was hoping to do it is because, you know, I have felt in a cross race like, yeah, man, you know, if I just didn't have to worry about this at all, mm-hmm. it would be a load off. Yeah, uh, because you get so starved for oxygen. I pick, you know, sometimes when I pick the bike up, I accidentally tap the shifter to mm-hmm. put it into the little ring and that's super annoying you know i'm racing in one ring most of the time anyway mm-hmm. uh, i i race my big rings at 46 i mostly spend my time in that because i'm a hemia um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but i also have a 12 to 30 cassette but you could but you could use you know a 40 single ring and you'd spend some time in your smaller cogs and whatever yeah yeah exactly exactly it's it'd be it'd be fine um so I was actually doing some math on this because I was like, man, what would it, when, where would we need to be in order to go to one by on the road? Because that's the thing is that SRAM and Specialized were kind of really going after this thing, right? With the all a crit bike, with with the one by on the road, 
where it's an 11 speed, uh, one, one by 11, uh, new Ollie sprint. Mm-hmm. And that was like, eh, I don't think we're quite there yet. Right. It's like they're bringing back the crit bike and that works for crits, but you know, if it's going to be like a general purpose road bike that you ride all over the place or that you race, you're going to want to. Yeah. Right. Not just in crits, but in road races or whatever. Yeah. You're going to want more. Even if you live in flatland, there's an argument. There's an argument to be said, uh, to be made for, um, you know, having a little chain ring because sometimes you travel places. Yeah. But, I, I mean, that, that, that said, like, I, you know, I've done winter training on a bike with a single and like, I, I think the single works for a lot of ordinary people who are not bike racers. Yes. Um, and crucially, I, I'm talking about for road bikes mm. and maybe, maybe for like cross or all purpose bikes. And I think, you know, crucially, a lot of mountain biking is not in a racing or training approach. It's just riding for fun. Right. Right. And, uh, and if you if you kind of like you know shift that paradigm over to to road cycling, um, then yeah, I could I could totally imagine, uh, you know, I, it, like setting up a setting up a a fendered bike or a geared commuter bike or any anything like that. Obviously, one by is I think better. It's less stuff, and you don't need as much. Yeah, exactly. And there's less, there's fewer things to clean and break and whatever. So yeah, yeah, with regard to more casual riding, like we're there, you can do it. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually did some math a few weeks ago now, so I I don't have it right on top of me, but I said to myself, okay, like what, how many gears would you need in back in order to have essentially no need for a front derailleur on like a normal racing bike, Mm -hmm. which is to say, say a 50 tooth, big ring well single ring in this case because you know you kind of want a 5011 i gear theoretically um for a race bike and um the equivalent sort of gear spread that you would get from like a you know 50 uh, i think i considered like 3925 as a low gear just to be Mm -hmm. a little more generous so so taking a little bit off the low end Mm-hmm. Um, or sorry, sorry, the, uh, the top end compared to like a full on standard double, but, but taking kind of the normal low end from like a 3925, like, okay. The equivalent of like, if you had 50, 39, um, front and 1225 or 1125 rear or a 53, 39 front and a 1225 rear and, and preserve the same basically spacing of the gears. Uh, and you could do that with, I think it was 13 cogs, like easily. Mm-hmm. So that's still a ways off, but it's getting closer and closer. Yeah. And maybe that's really And difficult. this is like, this is a really similar conversation. What was happening when, um, compact chain ring combinations started, started getting out there. People and were triple like, started oh, going oh, oh yeah. I don't think I'll get the gear range that I need, like sacrificing this. But the answer is like, no, as long as you have like. A fifty eleven is a is a plenty big gear for going fast. Yeah, for like ninety nine point nine percent of people. Yeah. Maybe yeah. if you're Marcel Kittle, you need a fifty three eleven. Yeah. The only time I'm sprinting in a fifty three eleven is when I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> you're like, oh crap, I'm over I'm, here. I'm so tired that like I think sprinting at ninety RPM is gonna do anything for me. Yeah. <laughs> So so yeah, it's it's getting really close, and I, I can't really comment on when that will happen because it'll be a while, and there might be there's various technical reasons that it might be 
it's very difficult to get there. Um, but overall, um, I think it's interesting to see it happen. I think that we're probably going to see 12-speed road drivetrains appearing soon as well, is what that means. Yeah, likely. But maybe end of next year. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like that would that would be deeply unsurprising. So get ready for that. And you know what? Keep keep riding your eight, nine, ten, eleven, whatever. Ride until the shifters wear out, which they will, because that's what happens to things when you click indented ratchety things enough times. Yeah, they wear out. But in the meantime, you know, no one's making you upgrade. So everyone, everyone, stay cool. <laughs> Chill, bro. <laughs> it's gonna be fine. Chill, fam. Ugh. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, see how it goes. Everyone, everyone flipped out when SRAM came out with the 1x11 mountain bike drivetrain a few years ago, like four mm -hmm. years ago. So it's like, you know, every, nothing is new under the sun. <laughs> we've, been, we've been rolling out like an additional gear like every five years for the last forever. Yeah. So. Uh, and I think in the same way that SRAM had the funeral for the front derailleur, I think it's time to put, to have a funeral for the it goes to 11 or but it goes to 12 or whatever jokes like from oh, referencing God. this is spinal tap like it it's like just time it's just time the same way that you know when you see a bike that has very prominent branding on it someone is bound to say gee what company makes it like yeah 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 like it's time it was like 2009 campy comes up with 11 speed q endless spinal tap jokes 2011 Shimano does it. Come out, you know, spinal tap jokes. 2012 SRAM spinal tap jokes. It's mm -hmm. just like we get it. We get it. Spinal You're, tap jokes. Yeah. Very funny movie, but quoting it not actually that. I'm gonna say that when people start making triple pivot brakes. <laughs> I can't wait for triple pivot brakes. They're gonna be so powerful. That's a new <laughs> frontier. Just, you're gonna squeeze and then keep bending. Yeah. Yeah. Forget about ugh, disc brakes. For real, it's going to be triple pivot. <laughs> oh my god. That doesn't make any sense. It's going to have triple the modulation, bro. <laughs> Alright, we better wrap. With a W. <laughs> this has been HPP. We're bringing you talk about bicycles and stuff that doesn't rhyme. <laughs> We better rap. Now we really better. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, check out wideanglepodium.com. Wideanglepodium.com slash donate if you want to maybe help us uh, help us run the show with a little bit of money. I don't know. Uh, I've been Greg. You can find me on Twitter at Grolby. I'm Matteo. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Matteo, spelled M-A-T-T-I-O. Nice. I, I nailed that one. And thank you for listening, everybody. We love you. We'll catch you next time. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, happy riding. Happy riding.